just want to thank you for today. Thank you that we have a place to gather just to listen to your word and to, and to be in your presence, Lord. I just want to uh, lift up Joseph and Lord, just prepare our hearts uh, so that we can receive your words, Lord. Just align Joseph's heart to yours, Lord, so we can reveal to him what, what you have prepared for us today, Lord. And just let us not be distracted by the things of this world. Just focus solely on you today, Lord. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that awesome introduction, Vic. RJ, can we switch to the Chromecast? Awesome. Thank you. All right. Good morning, everybody. I have the honor and privilege of speaking today. Oops. Get a little bit of... Uh, let me make sure I can cast this real quick. All right. Yeah. So how about today? Waking up to some snow. That is not what we were hoping for today. Um, you know, the, the snow, I was a, a little, running a little bit late this morning, and uh, because of the snow, I couldn't speed as I normally do. And then when I finally got to Bethel, uh, I, was, I was like, all right, it's clear roads, I, get to, I can speed. I accidentally cut off a, a, a hybrid Honda Civic, and as I cut him off, I looked over, and it was Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> So I, uh, I want to confess before, the, uh, before the, the whole church and uh, apologize and beg forgiveness from, uh, from Jeff for cutting him off, who was also running a little bit late, but because I cut him off, I was on time, but Jeff was a little late. <laughs> so worth it. Um, all right. So the, today uh, we are, so we finished uh, Sermon on the Mount um, as we talked about uh, um, a few weeks back, we finished this, this long couple months in Sermon on the Mount and um, learning everything that the Lord Jesus gave to his disciples as kind of the, the building blocks of, of uh, kingdom living and discipleship. And as we finished that, I'm sure all of you were like, wow, like a, a great, like long um, uh, dive into it. Uh, you guys thought we were done, but we're going to jump into James. And James is a commentary on a practical living from based off a of Sermon on the Mount. All right. And so just when you thought we we're done, we're going to go deeper. All right. We're going to dive deeper. And I'm sure that's exactly what all of you wanted is to go deeper in Sermon on the Mount, right? Amen. Yes. Because it is. It's the building block. It's the foundation of our walk with Jesus. All right. It's, it's the first message that he gave his disciples. It's the pillars. All right. And, uh, and in James, uh, it's great to look into because uh, James um, really uh, puts... puts uh, uh, puts the pedal to the metal. It, it, it gets to the nuts and bolts, practical application of walking out Sermon on the Mount, real world application. All right. So as we dive into it, um, the first part of James where he, what he jumps into is enduring testing and temptation. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, but just a little preamble. So James, all right, what is, what are James's qualifications for even talking about this? All right. And James, James is James the just, and this is James, not the James brother, uh, uh, of John, all right, not that James, not the one of the 12 disciples of James. This is James, actually the half-brother of Jesus, all right? This is the James that you come across in the book of Acts. This is the James that you come across uh, in most of Paul's epistles. When Paul talks about the church in Jerusalem, he talks about two leaders, Peter and James, and it's this James, all right? James the Just, all right? Look at that guy. He's got a great beard. Fu Manchu. So James the Just, all right? And who is he? So he was, uh, he was the half-brother of Jesus, and he was the first leader of the early church in Jerusalem, all right? And uh, so he knew Jesus. He was related to Jesus, 
what, what that half-brother means, we, we we're not quite sure how he was exactly he's related, but he was blood by blood related to Jesus, or, and he knew Jesus in person, um, and he was the first leader, like first pastor of the church, right? the founder, one of the founders, one of the early leaders of the Jerusalem church. Right? And this is, this, this is the only real writing that we have um, from James, um, but it's a great f- short five chapters. It's actually my my favorite book in, in, in the New Testament, I, I love the book of James, uh, is Practical Applications. Right. I, I love it. Um, and so the teaching of this, this letter that he wrote has its roots in the Sermon on the Mount, as I mentioned. So it's almost a commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and, uh, and James makes no fewer than 18 references or allusions to the Sermon on the Mount. 18. So there's an, this book is only five chapters, but... but James uh, quotes, directly quotes, or references Sermon on the Mount at least 18 times, perhaps even more. So the, the words of Sermon on the Mount are scattered throughout this book, and it's really an exposition of those main ideas, all right? And the overarching theme of it is combating the spirit of the world, all right? The opposite of what Jesus calls us to, to do in the Sermon on the Mount is walking in the kingdom mindset, the world has the opposite, right? The ruler of the world has an opposite mindset, all right? And then James calls us to resist that spirit of the age, all right? So it's not just highlighting. So Jesus in, in the Sermon on the Mount highlights, you know, the Beatitudes, how we can walk, walk worthy, how we can um, follow in his footsteps, how we can love, um, what to do. And then James shows us what the world uh, highlights the temptations of the world to do the opposite. All right, what are those opposite things? It's the, the spirit of the age, which James says is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, envious, and self-seeking. All right, that's the premise of the spirit of the world. And, uh, you know, it, as we go through these five chapters, we're actually going to see almost like the anti-Beatitudes. It's like the anti-Christ Beatitudes. The, the, the way that the world says, Jesus says in the Beatitudes, happy are those who do these. And they're contradictory to what we might think, you know, those who mourn, those who are meek, those who are poor in spirit. That's opposite to what the world says. You know, the world says happy are those. And each of these chapters, what James kind of highlights a couple of things. The spirit of the age says happy are those who avoid trials. You want to avoid, right? Doesn't that make sense in the world? Like, if you told the world, like, yeah, like, rejoice in trials, they'd be like, what are you talking about? You should try to avoid it. Like, avoid any sort of uh, difficulties. Give preference to those who can help you. That sounds reasonable, right? Like, you know, give preference to those who can help you out. Promote yourself by what you say. All right? Happy are those who promote themselves, right? Like, you got to get what's yours, right? In your workplace, in, uh, in you know, in, in your relationships, like, get what's yours. Happy are those who demand your rights. James covers this in James 4. And then happy are those who grab all the money that you can. All right. So these are, these are kind of the anti-beatitudes of the world that, that we're going to go across uh, in James here. Uh, if you look at that, and on its own, if you were in, like a, a, in, a, in a church, this could be like kind of like, I don't know, like a self-help, like, uh, you guys ever see those self-help books? You know, when I first graduated from, uh, from residency, uh, my boss gave me this book by, I want to say, what, what the, I can't remember the name, but it's one of those New York Times bestsellers on like living your best life right now. But it's not like the, the Christian version, but it's like got like reasonable things that, that people are like, um, they're... Uh, what is that guy's name? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? The self-help guy. He has people like walk on coals. Who, who, what? What is his name? Uh, what? His name. Okay. Uh, you'll come up with it later. Steven, Steven's going to come up with us later. You guys will know who it is. Terry, something, Tor, Terry Robbins, something, Tor, something Robbins. Anyways, so, but he's like a health, self-help guru, like a uh, really popular guy. These could be like the, 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 the highlights of, he has these conventions and like tons of people show up to him and people watch him on social media, but it's his self-help, like how do you like do like get your best? 
Or like, this could be like, if you want to be, everybody these days, young kids want to be like an influencer, right? They did this, this, this poll and it's like, what do you want to grow up to be? You know, back in our day, you know, everybody's like, I want to be a firefighter or like, you know, I want to be like, you know, a doctor or a lawyer. Kids these days want to be social media influencers, right? Number one, they want to be a social media influencer. These would be the keys. These would be great. This is what you want. Avoid trials. Avoid doing anything controversial, right? Find people that can help you out, all right? And, and, and give preference to them. Promote yourself, promote your brand, hashtag brand, right? Like demand your rights and then get all the money that you can. Right, these are the keys to being a social media influencer if you want to be a social media influencer. All right, it's the keys of the world. Happy are those who do this, all right? Happy are those who do this. And this is what even back then that the early church would have struggled with. It's the same. Nothing has changed, all right? It's the same today as it was then. All right, so these are the temptations of the world that we combat by walking in Sermon on the Mount, and James shows us how to, how to fight some of those things. All right, but the first one we're going to cover today is, again, um, avoiding, uh, enduring trials instead of avoiding trials. All right, so James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Isaac, you got your Bible handy? What? <laughs> Isaac, you're my designated reader. You gotta be, you gotta be ready. You gotta be ready, Isaac. <laughs> you can, oh, Stephen's got it for him. <laughs> Thank you, Stephen. <laughs> Verses two through four. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in Amen. Thank you, Isaac. So this is where James starts his this book, and this is where we're going to start here about trials and temptations. All right. I want to highlight four parts in these verses: count it all joy, trials of various kind, producing steadfast, that we may be lacking in nothing. All right. And those are the four th four bullets that we're going to hit today here. Okay. Um, and the first I want to start off with is these trials of various kinds. So when he talks about rejoicing in trials, well, what exactly does he mean? All right. What kind of trials? You know, did he mean like trials like you know, uh, running out of money, or, or maybe you, you have a big test coming up, Ian, and it's, it's, it's not going great, or your study's not going good, or, or maybe you have to stay up late taking care of a sick child sometimes. Like, what kind of trials? Are those, do those count? Are those the kind of trials that, Jesus, or that James is talking about? The answer is yes, all of the above, all right? All of the above. The word that he uses in Greek, all right, and I hope I pronounced this right, but I don't speak Greek, but parasmos, 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 means approving, all right, approving. Uh, specifically, the trial of man's fidelity, integrity, virtue, constancy. Also an enticement to sin or temptation, all right? So that's the Greek translation of that word, all right? So when he says trials of various kinds, he really means of various kinds, all right? All different kinds, because God cares about all of them, all right? There's a small trial, big trial, whatever it is, he's calling us to that same standard of rejoicing, all right? No matter the trial, because they're all trials, various kinds, every kind of temptation to depart from God's will, that's what's in view. Any temptation to depart from God's will, all right? So that can include inward temptations, our inward temptations to the flesh, lust, outward uh, temptations to depart from God's will, trials in your workplace, in your school, in your finances, all right? trials in your health, uh, trials, everyday trials, to even global trials, trials of the world. We, see, we know that there's plenty of trials around the world. Maybe we don't see them quite as much here in the United States, but across the world, there's war, there's poverty. There's, these are trials across the spectrum. Various kinds, all right, various kinds. I praise God that his, uh, his challenge, but also the reward or the encouragement comes from obeying his commandments a 
across all trials, all trials, all right, every kind. There's no trial too small, there's no trial too big that we cannot practice the Sermon on the Mount. All right. Now, the early church, all right, in James's time when he's writing this letter, they faced the similar types of, pers- of trials that we face, but also trials that we didn't face. All right? And this is the James that was, uh, this is James who was actually martyred for his faith. All right? So James was martyred, all right? the first, first leader of the early church. So he, James knew very well trials of all different kinds. All right? James was a Jew all right, that converted to, that believed in Jesus, all right? a Messianic Jew. All right? At that time, not only did he face persecution from Gentiles, you know, Romans and unbelievers, but he faced persecution from his own people. All right? The Jewish people hated people that, that believed in the, this sect of Jesus. All right? So James, again, you know, when he's writing this, he's writing from experience. James knows trials of various kinds, of all types. And in the end, he was martyred by being thrown by unbelieving Jews, by the, by the, um, the Jewish leaders. He was thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. They tossed him off the top of the temple. All right, so... You want trials of various kinds, James, you know, James knew them and, and went through them. All right? So he was tossed from the top of the temple. That's the very same top of the temple where Jesus was tempted by Satan, all right? the pinnacle of the temple, all right? where, where Satan actually tempted Jesus. So the temptations of various kind. All right? uh, when when uh, Jesus faced his temptation, Satan actually told him, isn't God going to protect you? Isn't God going to, you know, to, to, to take care of you? And Jesus responded with scripture. All right? If you're... Um, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. All right. And James actually went and paid the full price. He was actually thrown from the top of the temple. All right. um, so, you know, the James knows what he's talking about. All right. um, and actually, I have a picture of him being thrown from the top of the temple there. Right. Yeah, so that's a picture of James being thrown from the top of the temple. That's how he died. So the early church believers, um, they knew trials. But what does James tell us? All right, in the, in anything that tests our faith, whether it's unto death or whether it's things like lust or whether it's things that financial trials, what does he prescribe? All right, what is the response of the Christian heart? What is what did James walk out and what did Jesus walk out? And it's rejoicing. All right, it's counting it all as joy. And that's like wow, like what? What? That's the key. Counting it as joy. How do you do that? Why do you do that? All right. Um, so the proper attitude is to rejoice. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says the same thing. All right, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, all circumstances, various trials. All right, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. All right, so the response, the response, the key to, to facing trials is to rejoice. That's first and foremost. All right, and this is not advocating like a like a masochistic like oh like like rejoicing and joy, like wanting painful experiences for the pain of it, but rather it's to view your trial as profitable, all right? It's profitable, all right? Uh, even if it's unpleasant, all right? And we do that, and, and not only do we do that just because he said so, but because he did so, all right? Jesus did it. He calls us, he never calls us to do anything that he himself did not walk out first, and Jesus did the same thing. And when we Count it all as joy and rejoice in those trials. We share in Jesus' suffering and obedience, all right? We follow in his footstep to walk that out. Um, those, there's a principle, those who love obey, all right? So we want to obey that principle, and Jesus walked that out and obeyed as well. We've been studying um, the uh, Upper Room Discourse in, in our Bible study on Friday nights, and this last week we were actually reading in John 15 about how Jesus says, if you love, if you love me, you're going to do my commandments, all right? Those who love, obey. Um, he describes the perfection of love and joy. You're my friends if you do what I command, all right? In the same way that I do what the Father commands, all right? That's the love. And this is Jesus in the upper room. This is Jesus right before he undergoes the hardest trial, the cross, the passion, all right? 
Um, but he says, count it all as joy. Count it all as joy and do, uh, do what I command if you truly love me. In John 15, he says, as the Father has loved me, so I love you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. And these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. All right, so there's, there's joy in the obedience. There's joy. You can rejoice in all these trials. And Jesus rejoiced in, in the trial to come, even as terrible as the cross was. He knew it was first to, to give thanks and rejoice, as Paul wrote. All right. So we look to Jesus as that perfect example. All right, it's the perfect example. Well, I know when we say like the first response to trial should be rejoicing, that's super hard for me. That's super hard for me. Um, and it's super hard for all of us. That's not our natural response to rejoice in the midst of trials. But when we look at Jesus, we can walk in that same way that he did. In Hebrews 12, it says, We look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We have various trials in our life, right? We have got everybody, we all have, have various trials. None of us have been crucified, at least not yet, right? But I mean, and, but we will all go through various trials, and James was martyred. Um, but the response to all of those things can be to rejoice first, to rejoice first, because the obedience or rejoicing can produce fruit of righteousness. And Jesus is the perfect example. We should look unto him for that joy set before him. What are these things that we can, we can be joyful about in the midst of trials? Well, there's, there's two things that James highlights, all right? Um, and, uh, and the two things that Jesus highlights in Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What can we for the joy set before us, endure these things. And Jesus sets out a few things in, in Sermon on the Mount as a review. We went through these in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for there is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and utter all kinds of false evil against you from my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. All right. Your reward is great in heaven. Um, those are the two areas that we can set as our joy set before us, any sort of persecution or trials that we endure for Jesus's name, there's a reward at the end. All right. Now, what about these other trials, the other types of various trials that maybe aren't for Jesus's name, but just difficulties in life, maybe your financial difficulties, or difficulties in school, or, or difficulties in your family? What, what are the joys set before us? And, and James dives into this deeper. In the next part here, it produces steadfastness. All right. It produces steadfastness, Patience and endurance are other translations. All right, it produces that fruit in us. All right, so that's a, that's another joy set before us. When we go through these trials, we can believe that wow, we're going to grow in endurance and patience. We're going to grow in perseverance. That's that producing a steadfastness that that James talks about. All right. Tim Keller is one of my favorite uh, pastors and writers, and he wrote, "No one is exempt from trials and tribulations. In fact, this is often." what happens to people God loves very much. For it is part of God's often mysterious and good plan for turning us into something great. It's like, oh no, like God, you love me and you're going to make me walk through trials and temptations. It's like, what? It's like, no. But that is, it's actually his love. It's his love and his mercy that allows us to endure trials. All right. It's actually good parenting. He's a good father for allowing, and that like seems contradictory. You're like, oh no, like what, what, why, um, why would you do that? It's his goodness that does that because he's a good father. All right. Uh, I, I love watching uh, Asher here and, and and seeing you know the, the parents, but like if uh, you know if, uh, if if he if Asher was completely insulated from every bad thing, all right, every bad thing, it would be bad for his growth, right? It'd be bad for his growth. Um, if they can share and we're like, 
You're not going outside ever. You're not going to ride a bike. You're not going to like, you're never going to like risk anything. Th then Asher would not grow up to be the fullness of who he could be, right? Um, you know, and, and in fact, the world recognizes this, all right? So this is, um, uh, well, I, sorry, I'm going to go back here just real quickly. This, so God is a good father for doing, for allowing us to, to endure trials and temptations. This is goodness. Like when I was trying to learn how to ride a bike as a kid, like, my dad took off the training wheels, and I fell a bunch of times, right? But I know how to, to ride a bike. All right? and, it's God's, and that's like a simple example, but it's the same principle that's true about God. God is the perfect father, and he allows us. Uh, in Proverbs 3, um, it says, uh, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his proof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights, right? It's good to do that. It's good to allow uh, trials and temptations. Yeah, you know, um, if we insulate our kids from things, right, they don't grow up to be good kids. All right. um, you know, there's actually a recent example, uh, RJ may know this, um, just in the last two months or so, uh, a famous basketball player on the Lakers had to take uh, a week away. And people are like, why is he gone? Why is he not playing? He's not there. He's not away. But turns out his son, only 14 years old, all right, um, uh, was uh, arrested uh, for um, he was sexually abusing another child. It's a terrible story, all right? Only 14 years old. And when they, when they asked the kid, he's like, what, what, what's going on? Your dad is like this rich, you know, um, your, your dad is this, this rich, famous basketball player. Like, you know, you had everything. And, uh, and he's like, I hate my dad. I hate my dad, all right? Uh, he's never there, all right? He's never there. And all we do when he comes over is he, he you know, we play some video games um, and he buys me some stuff, but he doesn't actually really want to be, be with me be around me. It's a super sad story to hear. All right. And this guy's like a famous basketball player, all the money in the world. All right. Um, but he wasn't around. He's not around to discipline or, or bring reproof or correction to his son. All right. um, and, and even in the secular world, they, they recognize this. This is like a secular writing of a famous uh, like a child uh, psychologist. And uh, mentally strong kids have parents who refuse to do these thir 13 things. All right? I'm not going to list all 13 of them, but, um, but uh, here's just a few of them. All right? So uh, condoning a victim mentality, all right? making their kids the center of the universe, giving their kids power over them, letting their kids avoid responsibility, shielding their kids from pain. All right, that's what I want to highlight, shielding their kids from pain. Even the world recognizes it's not good to spoil their kids, or right? shielding them from pain, trying to insulate them. We all know these stories of like the rich and famous like actors and stuff, and their kids are just all over the place, right? Like, they're crazy, they're wild, and you're like, what? What's going on? They have all this money, they have all the ability, you know, they have everything set before them, but that does not produce righteousness in their life. It doesn't produce well-adjusted kids, all right? And, and so even having all this money to insulate them and provide for their every need, shielding their kids from pain actually produces uh, evil in their kids. All right? So it is God's goodness. And when we keep that in mind, when we think we're going through trials, it's like, God, why are you letting me go through this? Have keep in mind, he's a good father. He's a good father. And even if we can't see why, um, he loves us and he disciplines us. Because he loves us, he disciplines us. If he didn't love us, just whatever. Not like that, that basketball player. Do whatever. We're just going to play games and have fun together. All right. But the, the one who, the father who loves, disciplines his children. All right? um, if Vic loves Azure, he disciplines him. If he sees something wrong in him, something that bad that he's doing, he's going to correct him. He's going to allow him to fall off that bicycle. Um, in the same way, God, who's even better father, uh, does the same. In fact, when we go through trials, our, our prayers should not be, you know, that God, let us avoid all trials, but be like, God, please don't spoil me, Father. You know, don't spoil me. Don't spoil me. All right. There's, if there's evil in my heart, if there's wrong in my heart, correct it. Let me be corrected. Hebrews goes into um, this even further. All right. So Hebrews uh, says, 
Uh, the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 says, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But God, he for our profit chastens us, that we may be partakers of his holiness. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. All right. Again, God is a good father. God's a good father. I mean, we have father, you know, our fathers, my father, you know, um, you know, chastened us, you know, chastened us and did so as he saw fit, but he was a human, you know, he was a, he was a faulty human as all of our parents are, but God is the ultimate perfect father and every chastening that every chastening can be used by him to grow faith, steadfast endurance in us, the fruits of righteousness. So therefore we shouldn't try to escape from trials, but we should submit, submit to the maturing process with patient endurance and faith. We must learn patience or we will not learn much else. All right. So we gotta learn patience through the trials. Um, otherwise, the trial is a waste. All right. uh, if we don't learn from falling off the bike, then it's a waste, we never learn through it. All right. So we must learn to mature through it. And that is God's goal. And this is that, um, that last part, to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Like that is what he wants to produce in us. Uh, remember on Sermon on the Mount that uh, Jesus says that we are to be perfect like the Father is perfect. And that is what he wants to bring about through trials, through temptations. If we endure it, God will bring that about. Trials bring about a maturity, a refining. In 1 Peter, Peter writes this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, that you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuine of your faith, which is more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right. The trials and temptations are producing something in us. That patience and endurance, if we endure it with rejoicing and, and patience, it is producing in us perfection unto Jesus Christ. That is more precious than gold, more precious than gold. And that's how we can count it as joy. That's the joy set before us to become like Jesus, to walk like Jesus did, to become more like him. It's going to produce that in us. And that's how we can rejoice, no matter the trial or tribulation. So we know that God is allowing these things so that we may become more like his son. You know, he loves us, and that's why he allows us to endure it. And it's more precious than gold, more precious than gold. This is true across scriptures. In Proverbs chapter 3, um, uh, Solomon says, Take my instruction, trials, instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. This is the wisdom of the Lord, that trials and tribulations and temptations, all various trials can produce in us, can produce in us perfection, all right, Lack, that we be lacking in nothing, if we embrace it with, patience, with endurance and if we embrace it with rejoicing, all right. So in view of this fact, we should rejoice in our trials rather than rebelling against them. They're God's instruments for perfecting us, all right. Um, in, in, you know, there's a principle in sports that you, you know, that's why they play the game. Have you guys ever heard that before? It's like, you don't know until you, until you play the game. You don't know how good your, your team is until they actually face a good team. All right. Uh, I, I remember the one example of this and excuse me for, for my scarlet and gray 
uh, glasses, but Mitch probably remembers this game. In 2007, uh, 2006 and 2007, Ohio State had what was at that time considered like their best team ever. All right, best team ever. So they had the, the Heisman winning quarterback, which means the best player in college football, Troy Smith. They had the best wide receiver in college football. They had an amazing defense. They, they romped through the regular season, just crushing everybody. I was in college that, that year. That was like my third year in college. And like, we were super excited on, on campus. I don't know, Vic, you probably remember this, right? Yeah. So like everybody like the championship was like decided because we beat the number two team. We were ranked number one. We beat the number two team during the regular, at the end of the regular season, which was Michigan. And across the nation, everybody was like, look, there's no other team. There's nobody left. They already beat the only team that could have beat them. All right. Which was Michigan. Like we were rolling, like people were burning dumpsters and like celebrating. Cause we were like, we've got this in the bag. All right. This is the championship. I, I remember even talking with like um, some of my friends and stuff. And we were like, this is great. We're going to be in college during a national championship. Like this is awesome. Like this is the best. Nobody thought that we were going to lose the national championship. In fact, they, the, the controversy was like, who should they even play in the national championship? Cause there's nobody left. Like there's nobody that, that can beat them. And, uh, and uh, the team that eventually that we that uh, was uh, selected to play in the national championship against us was Florida. All right, and the coach of Florida uh, actually had to go around and 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 uh, and campaign for his team to be in it because nobody, everybody was like, well, maybe we should put Michigan back again. They can play play them again. You know, he actually had to campaign to like get into that game. And, and so going into that game, I remember like we were. I remember it like yesterday. Like we were all watching it, and uh, and. And I'm sure you know the, the result. Like, we lost. Not only did we lose, we got stomped. Absolutely stomped. Curb stomped. And that we were beaten so badly. It was like 41 to 14 or something like that. We were beaten so badly. My, my roommate was so depressed. He didn't go to class, and he didn't shower for a month. Like, he didn't leave the apartment. He just stayed in his room. Like, I didn't see him for a month. That's how depressed he was. All right? Like, that's how, like, we got stomped. All right, stomped. And looking back, you know, if, if, if the, the, the popular opinion at that time was that, like, man, this is the best team. They don't even need to play anybody because we didn't play anybody. We hadn't played anybody. We didn't know. It's, that's why they played the game. That's why they play the game because you don't know until you endure that trial, until you go through that trial. And the same thing in our spiritual life. We don't know the level of our faith. Right? We don't know how strong our faith is. You might think that it's strong. And there's plenty of times, even recently, I know that I thought my faith was strong. But then when you go through trial and tribulation, that's when you really know. That's when you play the game. All right? That's when you go through that. To go through that fire, that's that testing that produces that gold, that gold that, 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 that gold of faith. And we don't know. We might think we have it. We might think we've got the best quarterback, the best wide receiver, the championships in the game. Like, our faith is strong. But until we undergo those trials and temptations and walk through it, we, we don't. All right? We don't know. And like, that's why God lets us go through it. Um, <clears throat> in Romans... Um, it says, not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We can embrace these trials and temptations for the joy set before us because we, as, as believers in Jesus, have the Holy Spirit in us. We have the Holy Spirit in us. That's the key. Right. The world goes through trials and temptations, and of course they want to avoid it, because those trials and tribulations, they'd produce nothing, all right, unless we have the Holy Spirit in our heart, unless we're following Jesus. Those trials and tribulations are pointless. All right. Suffering is pointless uh, apart from Jesus. All right. Unless we allow the Holy Spirit to produce endurance and joy in our hearts unto perfection, becoming more like Jesus. All right. 
And that's how that character that Paul talks about here, it produces that endurance of persecution produces character and produces hope, uh, produces hope. Um, I want to close uh, with, uh, with a message um, from, uh, from Billy Graham. All right, many of you know Billy Graham, probably the greatest uh, evangelist in our modern times. All right. And Billy Graham said, sometimes God does test our faith, All right. just as he tested the faith of the ancient Israelites by allowing them to go through hard times in the wilderness. All right. That's what is said in Deuteronomy. God says, it's me. This is me. Like they're going through these trials and tribulations. God says, me, it's me. Remember the whole way that the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. All right. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And yesterday, in those days, God tested the Israelites in the same way. He wants to know what's in our hearts. He wants to know what, he wanted to know what was in their hearts. He wants to know what's, he wants us to know what's in his hearts. But I love what Billy Graham says here, all right? Um, uh, <clears throat> God doesn't test us because he doesn't know how strong we are. Uh, he knows. Instead, he tests us because we don't know how strong, we don't know how strong we are. All right? And we'll only realize it when times of testing come. Uh, remember, if our faith is weak, it may not be obvious when life is going smoothly and we aren't challenged in any way. All right. But when hard times come, a weak faith will be revealed for what it really is, shallow and unable to help us through life's difficulties. All right. So praise God. Praise God you know, that, he, that through anything, whether it be unexpected illness or death, um, whether it be the loss of a job or even broken relationships or, or, or people saying negative things about us, like, we can rejoice. Praise God, all right? Because when those hard times happen, the true nature of our faith will be revealed, all right? Um, just like the psalmist says, the psalmist says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. God knows our heart, but we don't. We don't know what our faith, how, far, how strong our faith is. And by allowing us to walk through these temptations, it refines us, it grows our faith, and it also reveals to us where our faith is, all right? So praise God for those trials. Praise God for those, those things. None of us like to go through them. You know, nobody likes to go through trials and temptations, all right? Um, but God can use them to show us our weaknesses. God can use them to, to mature us. God can use them to, to grow us into perfection only if we allow him to and we embrace it with, as James talks about, if we consider it pure joy, all right? If we allow God to, to help our faith to grow, it'll make us spiritually stronger. It'll make us mature, all right? But the key is embracing it with joy and embracing it with endurance, and that's, that's, that's the sum of it. That's the sum of these trials and temptations. And I'll read it again. James, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the joy set before us. The joy set before us. So kind of as we um, close here and, and wrap up this message, you know, I want us to spend some time in prayer and considering that. Know, considering it, the trials of various kinds. You know, what are the trials you know, that you're you're going through in your life? And again, they can be anything. You know, anything. Again, trials of various kinds. Like we said, covers the whole spectrum. Are you being persecuted unto martyrdom? Are you being you know? Are, are you undergoing a trial at work? You know, are you going to trials with relationships and family and friends? Are you going through trials at work, loss of jobs? Are you going through trials in uh, in in finance or health? You know, not having enough to meet the, meet the financial needs. What kind of trials are you going through? All right. Is it trials from within? Temptations, weaknesses, lust. What kind of trials are you going through? Embrace it with joy. All right. Submit to the cross. Rejoice in them. And ask yourself, am I rejoicing in these trials or am I just complaining about them? You know, 
I'm asking God to remove them without gaining that gold from it. You know, I think that's what we oftentimes do. We want to tap out and say, God, not, not enough, but we haven't yet refined that gold in our heart, that faith, becoming more like him. There's that opportunity, you know. It's like playing in the national championship. That's your opportunity to win the ring. You know, if you don't play through that hard game, you're not going to win the ring. All right, that's your only chance to do it.